Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch. I'm your host, Sarah M. Chappell, and I'm here today with Erin Johnson. Erin is a breathwork facilitator, tarot reader, and Reiki master based in Philadelphia, and she's the host of the Living Open podcast, which I've had the immense pleasure of being on. Great fucking show. Erin is just an absolute delight, and I'm so glad that I have gotten to know her and that you're here today. So welcome, Erin. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Me too. I feel like we've known each other for a couple of years in various ways now, and it's super fun to have you here. So I just read, I read your official bio, um, but Erin, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I was actually listening to your podcast this morning and I was like, oh yeah, I guess she's going to ask me that question too. <laughs> I ask everyone that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so officially I am many things, but recently I've been calling myself a healing artist, which I like because it sort of encompasses all the different things that I do. But yeah, mostly I hold space for people to heal. And I talk about that. And I write about that. And I do that work because I love it. And it's the work that has saved me as well. So yeah, that's what I do. (laughs) I love it. Healing artist does feel like a very appropriate phrase for you. Thank you. <laughs> you, know, you pull together all these different like tendrils of, of things that you do and movement and story and the tools that you use. So mm, that's really juicy. For our folks who are like, we kind of listed off like the things that you do. I feel like most of our listeners are probably familiar with tarot and maybe Reiki, but they may not be as familiar with breath work. What is breath work? Yeah, that's a great question. So breath work is really just the act of conscious breathing. And there are so many different ways to do this. There are so many different styles of breathwork. Like I facilitate a specific style that doesn't actually have a name other than breathwork, but there are other ones that you might've heard of that do have names like rebirthing breathwork or transformational breathwork. But really it's just the act of working with your breath consciously. Like we're breathing all the time, of course, but often it's unconsciously. Like we're not actually noticing the texture of our breath. We're not actually using our breath to help us do anything other than at an unconscious level, right? To survive. And the breath can open up so much for us. And it it shocked me (laughs) the first time that I did breath work and really consciously tapped into the breath outside of like a a yogic pranayama style of breath, but into a breath that's more intended to work with emotions. And it was a wild experience. (laughs) And I was like, what is this? I need more, please. (laughs) But yeah, we can work with the breath to do so many different things. And there are so many different ways to breathe. But like the common thread through all breath work is about being in the body and connecting with the body. So it's not something that we're like thinking about or bringing a lot of mental energy to. Although of course that's something that we like flow between, right? It's not that there's no thought involved, um, but really like the body is sovereign in breath work and the body is the, the channel for healing. So can you give us an example of, of like what might be possible for breath work? I was actually <laughs> saying that I was like, Aaron and, Aaron and I have had this conversation in multiple different ways. I was like, that's not a, <laughs> I was like, that's not a prompt, but that's one of my, that's one of my coaching prompts. Um, but yeah, what is possible with breath work? Like why, what was it? Why did we want to be in our bodies, Aaron? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> how this air sign, what that means. I don't understand. <laughs> 
Um, I think I'd like to sort of answer this question with an example of one of my experiences that I had actually during quarantine and just to give a little content warning or trigger warning, I guess, um, it's around assault. So I was doing breath work, a facilitated breath work where I was the person who was breathing, right? And I started having this experience of remembering this trauma, this assault that I went through. And this was actually a memory that I had repressed and that had come up to the surface prior to this experience. So it wasn't surfacing like as a repressed memory, but it was something that I realized happened and then was like, oh shit, I don't want to think about that or deal with that, which is why I think my body repressed it in the first place. But it came back up when I was doing breath work and I actually had a really profound and powerful experience that involved a lot of crying, but also ended up feeling like a reclamation. Um, I felt myself going through that experience again and I was able in the breathwork experience and in this like re-experiencing of the experience to say things that I wasn't able to say um, and to stand up for myself in a way that I couldn't at the time and to, uh, yeah, reclaim my body as my own in that moment. And I'm like, my body is having a reaction as I'm sharing about this, but it felt really powerful. And I don't think I could have gotten there with any other modality. I think it was the breath that was needed because these memories and this experience is lodged in my body. And it was so much about a trauma that I experienced in my body. Right. And so absolutely breathwork can help us heal trauma. And, you know, it's not always, I feel like maybe that's a scary story for some people. It's not always such an intense experience, but when we have healing to do, like breathwork will help us do that. And that was the healing that I needed in that moment. And at that time, right. Um, and it's not that, you know, I'm like checkbox that, trauma is done, but that was definitely a big breakthrough moment. And yeah, I think whatever is present in the body, breathwork can help us work with that. And there's so much too with breathwork and getting into the body of like our relationship with our feelings, <laughs> which I know we've talked about this before, but <laughs> what is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is a feeling? I mean, feeling your feelings can be really hard. And I'm someone who shut myself off from feeling feelings for um, a long time for a variety of reasons that I guess I probably don't need to get into right now. But so a lot of my work with my body is telling my body that it's safe for me to feel feelings. And a lot of the stuff that comes up for me in breath work is feelings that I never felt from years ago, from last year, from like last decade, like a lot of old stuff coming up because I was never able to process it at the time. And that's not unique. Like we all have feelings that we store in our bodies and there are plenty of like very valid, very good reasons for not feeling our feelings in the moment. Like sometimes we can't, sometimes it's not safe. Sometimes we're afraid to like all of those reasons are valid, but they, they hurt us when we don't ever feel them. And so breathwork can be a container for working with feeling our feelings too. And that's, that's a lot of how I work with it in holding space, like helping people just 
feel safe enough to fall apart and just have that experience with their feelings that they need. And it's like, we can't get there from just the mind. That's like, it's in the body. So we have to go there. Thank you for sharing. There's like, the word that comes to mind when I'm hearing you talk is like this physical catharsis, like that actual like ability to feel and then, and then release. So it's no longer like pent up, which is immensely powerful. Yeah, I want to say, I can't remember who said this. I think it was my friend Jenny of Corpus Ritual, Jennifer Patterson. Um, But she or someone said that breathwork is like part adult temper tantrum. And I was like, (laughs) yes, that's so good. (laughs) That's it. It totally. I was at a session a little while ago and like people were just wailing and screaming. And I mean, I'm sure if you walked into that room and didn't know what was going on, it would have been absolutely terrifying. Uh, but it was so beautiful to see a bunch of adults being able to just like fucking let it go. <laughs> yeah, it's so beautiful because like, when do we let ourselves do that? And it's such a process of just allowing, like we don't have to shove that down. We don't have to like put ourselves in. I'm like making this motion with my hands of making myself smaller. Like we don't have to like button it up and like be okay. We can just like be the animal selves that we are and just like, cry and growl. I did a lot of growling in my first breathwork session ever. It really surprised me, but we can just be with what's there. I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> I want to growl. That sounds super, like super powerful. It felt good. <laughs> Something that comes up a lot in your work is this discussion of like embodiment and using the body. And I see it in the breath work. Some of the other stuff that you share kind of like through your personal work, doing poll and, and other conversations that you have about like your religious background. What does it mean for you as an adult to kind of embrace being embodied? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm like, I guess a lot of my life is about that <laughs> outside of just like healing and context. And I mean, actually pole dancing, I've found to be greatly healing as well as really fun. Um. But I think there's something about being embodied, which first of all, is definitely a process. It's not like I'm embodied all the time or I'm in my body all the time, but I have the more that I work with that, the more access I have to that state of being. And it's like from that place, I feel most like myself because I'm not questioning myself all the time. (laughs) I'm not judging myself all the time. I'm not feeling really, um, yeah, like running through like worst case scenarios. There's like a lot of those kinds of things that happen for me when I'm very much in my head. But when I drop into my body and when I'm embodied, there's this, there's like this deeper sense of knowing, like a deeper sense of safety. I mean, it's the earth element. Like we hold all of our, all of the elements in our bodies, right? But like we think about the energy of earth, like that's what we can feel when we're in our bodies amongst other things. And that just makes me think of the other day I was at the park and I just laid down and I put like my ear to the earth and I just breathed. And I just felt like this deep sense of safety and I could feel my own heartbeat and like I was in my body in that moment and being held by the earth and I don't think we have to be laying down on the ground to feel that sense of being held by the earth it's like that element is our bodies too so there's so much um 
yeah, so much there about like having the body or letting the body be a container of safety and love that allows me anyways, I feel like to really express myself and be myself. Does that make sense? Mm, It does. Yeah. Yeah. How did this come to be your work? Mm. Yeah, I think I've always been really interested in the body. And I started working with the body for healing in a really conscious way in college when I got really into yoga. And I always share this, but I think that's a really common like sort of entry point into this world is through yoga. And it was mine. And that really started opening up a lot for me in terms of connecting to my body and just in terms of starting to like peel back layers and notice how much I didn't like myself and how afraid of myself I was even just like all of the stuff that I'd never looked at or thought about started to come up when I started working with my body and in the context of doing yoga and meditating and from there it's just like one thing led me to the next and that's that's kind of always what it's been for me like desire and curiosity are sort of like the threads that are pulling me forward and they they pulled me all around I (laughs) studied yoga in India and I taught yoga for a little while and I don't teach yoga anymore but I'm so grateful for the teachers in yoga that I had and my practice at the time because that was what brought me to Reiki my yoga teacher or one of them was also a Reiki master. And I was like, I've had Reiki before. I didn't really understand what it was, but thought it was cool. So that just sort of like happened organically. And that world also opened me up to working with tarot and finding breathwork as well. So it's sort of like a, yeah, everything just flowed and moved, but it's it all comes back to the body for me. It all roots into the body. Even working with a practice like tarot, like we can think of that as a more, like mental practice. And I mean, in some ways it is like we're communicating with, or like if I'm reading tarot for someone, right? Like I'm communicating what the cards are saying. I'm using my voice. I'm using those skills and tools, but still like there's a huge difference if I read from a place of being rooted in my body and when I don't. So it still roots back into the body, even if it doesn't like really seem like it, you know? Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. Um, And like, I'd love to know, uh, yeah, I'm always kind of curious about how, how people kind of get started with this as like work. So was teaching yoga, like the first kind of alternative wellness <laughs> thing that you, you, um, started doing professionally? Yeah. I wanted to be a yoga teacher so bad. <laughs> like I, once I started doing yoga and I loved it, I, I actually started teaching yoga in college before I was certified because my school had a yoga club and it was like, you didn't have to be a yoga teacher. You just had to have like a yoga practice and a desire to share it with people because we were all like college students, you know, and the classes were free and everything. But I started teaching for yoga club. I actually met one of my best friends through there and it was a really beautiful community. Um, yeah, side note that probably no one cares about, but (laughs) I care. (laughs) Thank you. So I started teaching yoga in college. And then after I graduated, I went to yoga school and I never did like the, the corporate, um, nine to five deal, even though for most of college, I thought I was going to, but then by senior year, I was like, what was I thinking? I can't do that. (laughs) 
so yeah, yoga was my first like foray into doing this work professionally. And it was difficult for me. I felt a lot like I loved the actual teaching of it. And I loved working with people and seeing their faces and talking to them and hearing how the practice was helping them. But I, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome. I was like, I was teaching mostly in like corporate settings and at gyms and some, I taught a lot at this beautiful space um, here in Philly, in West Philly. It's an anti-capitalist space based on the giving economy called Himza House. And I taught a lot there as well. But I felt like I couldn't teach at any of the studios. Like none of them really wanted me to teach. I was like too new or too unconnected or too, I don't know. And I think that felt um, discouraging for me, definitely. So I just want to, I don't think I've talked about that before, but I do just want to say that because I definitely struggled with feeling like I wasn't good enough as a teacher because I wasn't able to teach in the places that I was like, oh, if I teach there, then that's validating for me. Like if I'm a teacher there, then I know I'm good at what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I was still teaching yoga when I started offering Reiki and I started teaching meditation more like separately from yoga, but at a certain point, and I think we might've been like working together at this point when I was thinking about leaving yoga. I can't remember Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, no, you, you hadn't fully left teaching yoga when we started working together. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, it was, I'm like, that was a while ago. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was like, I felt like I was doing all of these different things and my heart wasn't really in the teaching yoga. And I also started to feel a bit like too, should I really be teaching yoga as a white person? And I was telling myself like, well, I studied in India from Indian people, like maybe that's okay. And then just none of it felt right anymore. Mm -hmm. And it did for a while and then it just didn't. And I was like, okay, I can't, like, that's a disservice to my students too. If I'm showing up to teach something that I don't fully believe in, or like my heart's not really in it. And people can feel that too. Like they don't get as much out of it when you're not, when your full self isn't in it. That's what I found anyways. Yes. Um, Yeah. So then I just started to lean more into my Reiki practice and my tarot practice. And I was like, okay, these are the things that I really want to be doing. And yeah, now I offer a couple of things and I think I'm going to be doing less and less of some of those things as well and focusing where I'm, or on where my heart really is right now, which is breath work. But I mean, there's so much fear in all of that too, for me, it's like, it feels scary to leave behind stuff that you are making money on, that you've gone to school for, trainings for, things that you have loved, but no longer do. Yeah, so it's it's been a process for me. But yoga, yes, was my first foray into doing this as work. Yeah, I appreciate you talking about that, both of those things, the imposter syndrome. I kind of want to put a pin in that. I will try to remember to come back to it. <laughs> and uh, it's like always an effort. Um, but I would love to talk about this idea of like letting things go and shifting because you, know, you mentioned the fear there. And I think one of the huge things that I know I have felt personally for sure y'all um but that I see with so many people I work with is like there's like this first initial fear when you're having your own business of like choosing the wrong thing like what if Mm -hmm. I do the wrong thing what if I change my mind but if you're following desire like you're talking about Aaron you know we end up in these spaces with this like this beautiful modality or this beautiful tool and then it somehow goes sideways it something isn't quite right it's no longer in alignment 
I'd love to talk a little bit more about how you work through that fear because you have made some big transitions. I have seen you really shift your focus and it's working. <laughs> I mean, it's working for the people you're helping. It's working for your business. How do you support yourself in kind of letting go of things whose time has passed and really stepping into what you want to do? This is such a great question because it's so hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm literally at a point like in my personal life right now where I have just sort of moved through clinging very tightly to something that I had to let go of and maybe need to let go of more things personally. So this is a very time I feel like I'm being called out right now. Oh, with love. (laughs) In front of all of our listeners. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, I think something that really helps me through that process is remembering all the times that I let go and I didn't die, that I was okay. Um, remembering and like literally making a list of these times, like that is helpful for me. And thinking about too, like the times that I trusted myself and that it was right, but felt scary at the time and felt unsure at the time, that feels really supportive too. Um, because I need those reminders. Like it's so easy for me to look back and say like, oh yeah, leaving yoga is absolutely, or leaving teaching yoga is absolutely the right choice for me. Like, I'm so glad I did that. But at the time it was really scary and I didn't feel that way. Like you can see it later, but you can't see it when you're in it. So yeah, reaffirming to myself that I can trust myself and that I really do know is really helpful. I'm also um, obsessed with having a practice every day (laughs) that I root into I know that doesn't work for everyone. You know, everyone doesn't need to have a like a healing practice or a spiritual practice or whatever you want to call it every day. But for me, that's been a really big anchor um, for, I don't know, for years now. And it looks different every day. It's not for me about doing the same thing every day, but it's about showing up for myself every day and for whatever I need right then. And there's something about having that container that I know I'm going to have with myself every day that just feels helpful. Like I know that I'm going to have that space to breathe, to cry, to write, or to light a candle or to do whatever it is that I feel I need to do to support myself. So that's been really important for me as well. Um, What else? I guess, I guess that's what I'll say. I'm sure there are other things that I can't think of right now, but, oh, I will say one other thing, trying as hard as I can to talk to myself in a way that is loving is a huge practice for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Trying not to like shame myself or when I'm feeling stuck or when I feel, when I notice myself like clinging really tightly and I don't want to let go and I'm afraid, like, I like to like hug myself and just say like, it's okay. I get that you're scared. That's totally okay. I love you. Like it's okay for you to be scared. And I try and talk to myself like that a lot um, because I I need it. (laughs) I don't need like me and mommy in my head (laughs) shaming me for being scared to let go. But that's a practice too, you know. That is 100% a practice. Like speaking of being called out right now. I've been like all week I've been waking up at 3 a.m. like in a panic with like the mean mommy voice in my head oh and and it's like trying to talk myself down is like one of the the greatest acts of self-love um but it is you know the way that we talk to ourselves it matters (laughs) 
Oh my uh, God, it matters so much. It's everything. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think I love in particular this idea of like, like noticing our own resilience over time and like actually calling that up, writing it down, pulling it to the forefront because most of us, you know, if you're listening to this show, you are probably over 18. <laughs> you're probably an adult. I'm going to go broad generalization. I know the people listening to this show. <laughs> and even if you were under 18, a lot of us, you know, have experienced things when you were younger too. But like by the time you're here listening to this podcast, you've already been through shit. You have been through shit and you have lived. <laughs> and we like, we discount those experiences so quickly, you know, as they become kind of like sepia toned in our memories or, or we do kind of, you know, push them aside and say, oh yeah, it was so easy to make that decision to leave yoga. Obviously it was the right choice, but we have successfully navigated to this moment. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> yeah. Good job, everyone. <laughs> Yay. Good job. We want to celebrate you. <laughs> And like, and I love it. Like we can look back at our own resilience and be like, yes, this was challenging. And I made it to the other side. And that that in itself is, is really supportive and powerful. We don't have to know what to do, but we can know that as you were saying, that you can trust yourself. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but something I've noticed through that practice is like, I am so quick to forget my power and I'm so quick <laughs> like I can't like to not believe in myself and to not believe that I can do things and that I'm powerful and that I can create change I'm like so quick to be like no I I can't <laughs> but when I look back it's like it, it really is helpful it's simple but it's helpful it's so wild how I mean part of it's like the the I think the brain negativity bias um the last number that I heard was like a one to five ratio, one kind of positive thought for every five negative thoughts or something. Oh. <laughs> I know. I was like, I got that from like well, that a, doesn't a, great. <laughs> a neuroscientist and I was like, that's not real, is it? I was like, that sounds really sad. You know, and we can understand that from kind of a, a survival theory, right? It makes sense that we need to remember the bad shit so we don't do it again. But we do, we lose track of our own power in that. Um, I, I have, I work, I was like, I work with that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, even in my business, I'll look at something and I'll be like, oh, you did that, but you'll never be able to do that again. I was like, yes. oh my God. Or, yeah. <laughs> or you didn't even do it the first time. That was just a fluke. <laughs> yep. Totally. Well, so you and I have talked about with, um, launching offers, which I think it's, it's so funny how selling and having a business is, is not dissimilar to well it brings up a lot of the the survival and safety absolutely <laughs> yes <laughs> and like we've talked about having like these successful launches and then being like oh but nobody will want it again <laughs> that was just that one time <laughs> yes <laughs> and you found that to actually be true <laughs> no I <laughs> I'm like, call it out again. But <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a big, like, I think I moved through that belief after having like a successful relaunch or second launch of something. Um, but I absolutely was holding that. I'm like, but everyone who wanted it got it the first time. Like I, they're good now. Like no one's gonna, no one's gonna want to buy this experience again, which just turned out to be completely untrue. And like, I knew it was untrue, but my body did not yet know it was untrue. <laughs> but after being through the experience, now it kind of does. Yeah. 
it's it's like this insidious because it sounds so logical, right? Oh, we we offered this thing, so of course everyone who wanted it bought it, and that like that way that your brain is is kind of affirming your body's experience by coming up with a story that sounds like super reasonable, like oh yeah, that makes sense. It, it's interesting that you mentioned that your body d- didn't know, but now having maybe gone through the experience again, it does. How would you go about starting to teach your body something like that? Mm. Yeah, I think, I don't know that there's like a one size fits all for this question, but I will say how it has been for me, which is that my I have to teach my body by going through experiences that it is safe to have those experiences. So, and this is a lot about I mean, there's a lot of amazing people who are doing trauma work and nervous system work around this, but around creating safety in the body. So maybe just an example, like I have definitely worked through and continue to work through this idea or this wound or story that like, it's not safe for me to be loved. And so when I actually allow myself to be loved, my body is learning and it's okay. My body is learning in that moment. Oh, it is safe to be loved. And that might take a million moments. I'm like, I am not through it. So I can't tell you how many moments it will take. But but that's kind of the idea. Like when I allow myself to, um, you know, open up and share something that's really scary with someone I love and it's received well, and they can hold that for me. Like my body is learning in that moment. Oh, it's safe for me to share this thing. It's safe for me to say this thing. Um, so that's, that's what it's been for me. Yeah. I, I, it is, I mean, you've said this word several times through this episode so far and it's like, it is a practice, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's this continual, like we just like keep trying again and slowly at surely the body starts to to feel differently about challenging situations or feel differently about uh yeah being loved oh erin yeah. <laughs> i know that was actually really tender but that's been coming up for me a lot during quarantine so it's mm-hmm. it's present for me here yeah, yeah. tender oh. <laughs> <laughs> um how do you balance your own uh, your own tenderness as a holder of of tenderness for others? Hmm. I have been thinking about this a lot, <laughs> especially during quarantine, where my own tenderness has been high and a lot has been coming up for me. Like, how can I still hold that space for people? But I think that makes it even easier for me to hold space for people because Mm -hmm. holding space is not about like being hard, you know, or like not feeling like just the other day when I was teaching or facilitating a breathwork class, like I got tears in my eyes over someone's share. And it's not like, Oh, I can't hold the container because I'm having an emotional response or because I'm tender. It's like, I'm still a human when I'm holding space for people. And I think it actually allows me to, meet people with more of my heart and to hold the space with more of my heart, which is what I feel people need to feel safe enough to have an experience, to feel like they can go there with themselves. Like, I don't want to 
participate in experiences where it feels like the person leading it is this like, I don't know, totally healed, perfect goddess who never <laughs> has a problem or an emotional risk. Like, I don't want that. That sounds horrible. <laughs> I want space to be held for me by actual humans who are feeling deeply, but who care and who want to hold a loving container for other people like that's what I want to breathe in and so that's what I try and offer for people yeah it's so interesting as you were speaking I had this like this moment of of like you know we've been at least I was so I won't speak for you but I know I was kind of trained that like emotions are not professional (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) and when we move into the like the healing art space I think we can see that really carry over because there's boundaries, right? But you can have good boundaries and still have an emotional response to something when you're, you know, and get teary-eyed when someone's sharing. And it's like undoing that conditioning that like the only way to be professional is to be hard, as you said, is, is, is really interesting. That's so important. And I think you're right. Like a lot of us have this and I have so much programming around this from like (laughs) wanting to not feel so I could be like my dad. So I could be loved and successful, like all of that. (laughs) Juicy (laughs) Erin. I know, but (laughs) that's all still there for me. Definitely. It's something to like always work through, but I mean, that's exactly it. It's like, yeah, we're still humans. And I don't want to not be moved to tears when I hear someone's heartbreaking story. I don't want to not feel when I hear that. Like, that's, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit because I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, but there's just something about like wanting to be more human, more of my human, animal, messy, alive self. And that includes like, crying sometimes <laughs> even yeah. if it's not like professional in quotes but, like I don't want to be hard I have done enough of that in my life I want to be soft and I think people who are okay with that and want that too are the people who can work with me and feel good about that you know maybe some people that won't be a fit and that's okay too yeah totally I like <laughs> I cry about stuff with my clients all the time. <laughs> I mean, not always with them, but like, you know, like after a session or, or after like a call at HBA or something, I'll be like, oh my God. Yeah, totally. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Human things. Yeah, um, the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something so powerful about this overall kind of like shift in dynamic, especially as it's more and more um, like women and femme folk have their own businesses too. Not always for great reasons. <laughs> Being consistently underpaid is part of the problem and why a lot of us start our own businesses. But um, that like with that shift in power and more and more small businesses being owned by by women and femme people that like emotions as... I don't even know if it's like as power, but as like a, like a, like, like emotions as like part of your professional toolkit, <laughs> I feel like is yeah. like rising to the surface in a way that is, is really exciting to see. Yeah, totally. Like emotions and trusting yourself and all those kinds of things, like all having a seat at the table in terms of like your business and running your business rather than like this old kind of paradigm, right? That we're taught about 
logic only, numbers only, like, oh, that's great too. But (laughs) but only, I don't want only that. No, no, not only. The only, uh, I was talking with someone today. I was like, the only numbers that I care about are are money math numbers and then no other numbers. I was like, that's fine. (laughs) I do money math magic and then, and then we can go back to feelings. Um, I, you mentioned quarantine a couple times. You know, how has your you were already doing work online, but you're really embedded in your local Philadelphia community. How has this period been for you, you know, both personally but also as a business owner? It's been sad. I really love the in-person work that I do, and I am deeply missing that. Definitely, mm-hmm. I miss going to the spaces where they're community spaces. You know, like the places I teach. At this point, I've taught there in person for a year, two years, three years. Like I've been there for a while um, consistently. And I miss seeing the faces of the people who I'm connected with. And that feels, yeah, sad, both personally and for my work. Like that's my favorite way to lead breathwork, for example, is like a group class in person. And so letting that go and letting go, you know, coming to terms with the idea that I'm probably not going to be doing that for quite a long time. Um, Here we're stepping into like supposed to be green phase in a couple of weeks, but but we're not going to be doing breath work in person, like literally forcefully exhaling around each other for a long time. Yeah. And so that definitely feels like a, a grieving process. And I feel definitely lucky that I was already doing work online as well before quarantine and before Corona, because I didn't have to, you know, start implementing these all new systems and processes. Like I had something already going. So I feel grateful for that, but yeah, I really miss the in-person component and I want it back. (laughs) I want it back. Like doing online work only is not really for me. And it's funny because I thought at one point that that is what I wanted like a while ago. And then I had it um, in this period, like between, this is sort of a tangent, but this period between yoga school and graduating college where I was just doing like online writing and like marketing work and stuff. And I, so it was all online And I thought that was what I wanted. And then I had it and I was like, oh, I don't want this at all. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, I want to be in person with people. Like I want to feel people's hearts there across the room from me. I want to like look into people's eyes and I'm looking forward to a time where that's possible. But um, it has, it's definitely made me think about how can I help people how can I be the most helpful during this time? And that's kind of why I decided to like do that relaunch that you talked about. That was a a pretty low cost experience that I did earlier this year with practices to help people get into the body. And I was just thinking about, you know, what, what can I help people with that doesn't require a lot of new energy from me because I don't have it. Um, Most of my energy has been so low during quarantine, especially in the beginning, but even now it's still quite low. Um, and it takes a lot out of me to do things that were felt much easier and less energetically taxing before. And so I knew I couldn't like as much as I wanted to. And I was inspired by seeing people put out all these new, amazing things. I was like, God damn, I don't know how you guys are doing. 
So yeah, like doing that's helped me be more creative, I think, and also helped me move through some limiting beliefs, like we were saying, but yeah, like thinking about how I can help people in ways that are virtual and in ways that are also accessible financially. Um, that's always been important to me, but especially now, I mean, when so many people have lost income, have lost their jobs totally, like I was like, I'm not going to put out something super expensive. Like I want to help as many people as possible and understanding that people don't have some people and a lot of people don't have a lot of money right now. So yeah, it's gotten me to be more creative and about putting out more free things too. Um, but not from a like reactive place when creating free stuff for me, it really has to be from a place of like, Oh, I really want to do this and create this and offer this. And not from a place of like, I feel like I should, because I just can't, muster up the energy to do that like if it's a should I just can't make myself do it I'll like sit down and try but nothing happens and nothing flows so yeah I guess it's been an adjustment definitely but um I'm also kind of excited to see how my work continues to evolve and change throughout this um maybe I'll love it even more than I did how it was before we'll see (laughs) yeah I love what you're saying though about asking that question of like, how can I help people, especially in moments of like immense change or panic or upheaval. It's so easy to get into that reactionary mode like you were talking about. I mean, I know I saw right after um, we started shutting down in the US, so many people create a whole shit ton of free stuff, which again, it, I'm with you, Aaron. Like, that's awesome if you can do that. I am like you. I was like, I should do this. It shuts my brain down like real fast. Partially because I just don't like people telling me what to do. I'm like, I'm just I don't either. I hate it. (laughs) I was like, don't tell me what to do, mom. (laughs) The most surefire way to get me not to do something is to like make it make it a directive, and I will be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Which is reactionary. I recognize that, Um, but it's. The, there's that moment where like so often we don't give ourselves the, the grace to pause long enough to actually assess what we have to contribute, right? Like what does Erin have that only Erin can offer, right? Or that Erin can offer like specifically from like her lens, her experience. And I haven't made something new, gosh, in three months. Mm. So <laughs> I'm just now starting to feel creative again. I have, but I have a, I'll be honest, y'all, I have a massive backlog of projects. Like, this is not cute. It's not good. <laughs> in, no, in no way is this like, and, I, and I'm pretty generous with myself and my business, but in no way is this like acceptable business behavior. But, um, you know, it's, yeah, like, I haven't been able to do anything. So the question is for me too, is like, how can, what, what can I do right now that is still in some way helpful or supportive? Um, but I think it's going to be so interesting to see, uh, yeah, what, how work shifts and as people start coming back in person, but really cool to hear that that's really affirmed for you how important that is. Like that you're like, I need that. I want that like face-to-face, heart-to-heart interaction. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I, I think that's like a common theme that I've been seeing for people, you know, is like this time is making it really clear what's really important and like in a personal context and in a business context. And I will say it's also made me rethink how I do structure my work around like private work and group work. And I've known for a while now that 
I like group stuff so much more and that feels like a gift that I have so much more. So to be honest, I'm not sure that I'll ever go back to in-person one-on-one sessions, but the groups I'm, yeah, deeply missing. (laughs) I just love hearing you say that too, because I think like, especially if you are like in Instagram land or something, like if always it can feel like everyone is like supposed to be running their business like one way and it's like I do nothing in person anymore and that totally suits my like hobbit introvert self um (laughs) you know but like that you're feeling like that that clarity about groups in particular and in person is so exciting I really feel and I just have been thinking a lot about how we each have like our own our own lane I guess when it comes to Mm -hmm. how we're going to show up and serve people and that that is actually really soothing during a kind of a crisis. Cause it's not a, you know, there's no competition. Like you're going to do something that like suits you and somebody else will do something that suits them. Now I'm rambling. Sorry. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I totally agree. And like, how perfect is that? Like we're all so different. And so of course the ways that work best for us in our businesses are going to be different. The things that we want to do the things that light us up and excite us the things we have energetic capacity for are going to be completely different and that's perfect because there are so many people who need help of all different kinds so it's it's great what is perfect Erin I love it (laughs) as we close where can people find you I guess on the internet for now (laughs) yes internet only for now but (laughs) um where am I I'm at Erin J underscore and it's E-R-Y-N J underscore on Instagram and my website is living-open.com that has podcast links all the information you could could ever need are on those two places fantastic we will link all of that up in the show notes and uh, I wonder, we can close. What what is one wish you have for the remaining of quarantine time? Mm. Yeah, I think my one wish is for us all to find some spaciousness um, in which we can feel ourselves, in which we can maybe feel some pleasure, in which we can maybe feel some. Um, some joy I think those things have been harder to come by than usual right like for many of us we have a lot of spaciousness but there's also a lot more fear and there's a lot more anxiety and there's a lot more of these like really difficult things Um, but something I've been really thinking about is how how much experiencing the stuff that feels really good, whatever that means to you or to me, right? Like pleasure and joy and laughter and those kinds of experiences, like they they create so much resilience. Like they feel like a remembering of, oh yeah, like something worth worth fighting to have, you know? Like remembering the the good stuff about being alive and being a human too. So I guess I wish that we can all touch just a little bit of that in the in the quarantine awesome human stuff that's what we're here for (laughs) yeah Erin thank you so much for being uh, here with me today it is such a treat to speak with you and get to talk about your journey and I appreciate your energy and your time 
Well, thank you so much for having me. I like don't want this to be over. It's so much fun. <laughs> no, I love chatting. I'm like actually a little teary eyed, like thinking about your wish. So, gender <laughs> oh. <laughs> human stuff. Yeah, human stuff. Yeah. That's gonna be, that'd be the title of the episode. How to <laughs> how to how to be human with Aaron Johnson. <laughs> work in progress <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're still learning a lot over here <laughs> uh, full-time human school over here for sure like, yes what is this? <laughs> yeah. uh, thank but you we will link everything up in the show notes all y'all at home make sure you go check out Aaron. and yeah oh i'm just in my feels it it, it feels so good to feel feelings thanks Aaron. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> and everyone at home, thank you so much for listening. We make this show because you're here and you are listening. So after you go and you follow Erin and you check out all her work, I'm going to ask you to head on over to iTunes. I know, or whatever, the Apple Pod app. I can't even keep track of what the fuck they're doing now. But can you go there? Can you leave a review? Like write one out and be like, Erin and Sarah's episode was so great. They taught me how to be human. Um, and let us know. <laughs> Um, that will help us to reach more people so that Aaron's message can reach more people and more people can go to human school with us today. Um, we would appreciate you taking the time to do that. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. You just press a button and it's like magic time. Aaron, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you, and Sarah. I appreciate you and this podcast so much. It's so wonderful. And you know how much your work has helped me. It's yeah, grateful. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. And I appreciate you guys at home and I will see you next week. Bye for now.